Well, I invite you uh, to turn with me. Uh, We're going to be looking at Psalm 107. If you're using the church Bibles, you'll find that on page uh, 432. Psalm 107. Now, if you're visiting and you're using the church Bibles, and you'll be hearing me read Scripture, and you'll notice a little bit difference. I'll be using a different translation. I use the English Standard Version, but that's just... Either version is, is fine. Many good versions out there. Well, in December of 1620, that's when the pilgrims of the Mayflower arrived in the New World. They had been two months sailing on the Atlantic. Their journey had really begun years earlier. They had first immigrated from England to, to Holland, They were escaping religious persecution. Numbers of them had been imprisoned, and they were looking for a place where they could practice their religion freely. And they they were able to do that um, in the Netherlands. But there they met with another problem that they had. And that way, that was the free ways of the Dutch. It became a snare for their children. Children, they realized, were becoming a little bit more secularized. And then the men realized they couldn't get work. The gills there would excluded them uh, from their being able really to make a, a living. So they determined that they would sail to the New World. They went back to England. They managed to find two sailing vessels, a larger group of people to, to join with. They were getting ready to start out. One of the ships proved unseaworthy. So both groups crammed into the Mayflower. And this delay then caused uh, them to have to cross the Atlantic during the stormy season. And that, of course, resulted in much sickness, uh, a couple of deaths. It also threw them off course. They were supposed to have landed in Virginia. They ended up in Cape Cod. And we know their story and their, uh, their struggle to survive, but they did. Okay, they managed to survive, and years later... The man whom they had elected to be their governor was William Bradford, and he wrote an account of that pilgrimage and their their settlement. And in summarizing their story, he turns to Psalm 107 to depict what God had done for them. Let Let me read from him. He says, May not and ought not the children of these fathers rightly say, Our fathers were Englishmen which came over this great ocean and were ready to perish in this wilderness. But they cried unto the Lord, and he heard their voice and looked on their adversity. Let them therefore praise the Lord, because he is good and his mercies endure forever. Yes, let them who have been redeemed of the Lord show how he hath delivered them from the hand of the oppressor. When they wandered in the desert wilderness out of the way and found no city to dwell in, both hungry and thirsty, their soul was overwhelmed in them. Let them confess before the Lord his loving kindness and his wonderful works before the sons of men. And so Psalm 107 became known as the Pilgrim's Psalm. Now, as we study this psalm, I want you to be thinking as we go through this, is there a time in which you'll be able to say, you know, actually, 
that's my psalm. It's talking about me. Look with me in the first three verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And these verses are giving the setting, the the theme of the psalm. It evidently was written after their exile to Babylon. You know, remember there were two uh, kingdoms. There was Israel, the ten northern tribes. They had been conquered by the Assyrian Empire back in 722 B.C. And then there was Judah and Benjamin forming the, the kingdom of Judah. And the Babylonian Empire conquered Judah and removed much of that population in 587 B.C. So they're all in exile. Seventy years later, they are allowed to return home. And they come. They come from, from Babylon, no doubt those who had been scattered by the Assyrians. Many of them probably made their way back. So they came from the north and the, the south and the the east and the west. And that's what this psalm is about. It's about the people coming back, how God brought his redeemed people home. Now, it's going to list about four different types of people, what their circumstances were. And this is what I want you to listen for as we go through this. Is one of these groups of people, will they be telling your story? Look at me in verses 4 and 5. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsting. Their soul fainted within them. And these verses are speaking of people who literally did wander in the deserts of the Middle East. And the pilgrims, they easily applied these verses to themselves. They weren't in literal deserts, but they had been wanderers. They had to go through uh, deserts looking for a city, a refuge, a place where they could earn their keep. And no doubt, some of you, you know, you look back to your younger years. You can look to your earlier years of, of wandering, of moving about here and there, trying to establish a good living, hoping to settle down. But what verse 5 is inviting us to do is to look inside, to the inner self. It's not merely the body that is fainting, but the soul is fainting. And so, does this apply to you? Was there a time when your soul was faint? You were wandering spiritually in what felt like a desert. It may be that you, you know, you really were miserable. You, you were starving for something. You know, maybe for, for purpose in life, for some way to make to what seemed to be a, an empty world. If you're my age, you might remember Kansas song. Remember this song, Dust in the Wind. All we are is dust in the wind, and that's what it, it felt like. Perhaps you were starving for love. You were alone. You, you felt alone. No, no one understood you. You didn't feel like anyone loved you. Or maybe you were just bored. Maybe you're about, what, another ten years older than I am. 
Remember the Peggy Lee song. Is that all there is, my friend? There's a verse she says, she's, I, I sat there watching the marvelous spectacle. I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what. But when it was over, I said to myself, is that all there is? And then the Lord delivered you. He opened your eyes to the heavenly city and he, and he led you along the way to hope, to purpose, to love. He satisfied your, your fainting soul. You, where before you had had no real purpose in life, now, now you were excited. Do you remember that first time? You turned to the Lord, how, how exciting it was. You had an adventure before you. And where you had felt belong, before you had felt like you were all alone, now you feel the presence of the Lord. And you discovered that blessed fellowship of other Christians. Again, for those my age, I don't know, as I was writing this, just songs keep coming to my mind. I'm thinking of this time of Keith Green. And that song, Your Love Broke Through. He says, all my life, I'd been searching for that, that crazy missing part. And with one touch, you just rolled away the stone that held my heart. And so for the spiritually faint, verse 9 concludes that section saying, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Because what the redeemed have discovered is that redemption is more than just saving souls. It is satisfying souls. As Jesus put it, I I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So some were restless. Others just plain rebellious and they suffered the due consequence. Look with me in verses 10 through 12. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Now the pilgrims, they would not have identified with the rebellion part, but they did identify with being in prison. Many of them had experienced that because of their refusal to to compromise their faith. Many others of the redeemed throughout the centuries identify with this passage for that same reason. They know what it's like to be put into jail. And brothers and sisters today lie in prisons in other lands where Christians are persecuted. And then there are those who are justly imprisoned for for their crimes. They've rebelled against authority. They have broken the law. And Roger Irvin can tell you their stories. From his work with Koinonia, prison ministry. And he can also tell you how the next verses apply to many of these prisoners, 13 and 14. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Many have found the Lord in prison. And precisely because God had humbled their hearts through that imprisonment. 
And then they cried to him. And he brought them out of darkness, that darkness of, of their sin. These redeemed can sing, they can sing Charles Wesley's great hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. But there are other types of prisoners as well, as, as Wesley's hymn alludes to. There is that prison of besetting sin. Sin that is stronger than any man-made irons. There are the irons of addiction. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be gambling. It could be many other temptations of the flesh. Whatever it is, it has a, it has a hold on the soul. And however we may ascribe these addictions to, well, you know, just, this is just the weakening of the flesh, we have to admit that it is rebellion. They have to admit that it was rebellion that led them into this addictive behavior and which keeps them bound. They were committed to what they knew to be sin. In fact, they did it even as an act of rebellion. Or you may have done that and refused to humble themselves and to receive pardon and help from God. And then there are others who are not addicted. They're just simply rebels. They insist on being their own masters. They reject God's lordship. They scoff at his laws. They, they proudly go their own way, not seeing how they keep falling further and further into darkness. And yet many of these addicted have cried to the Lord in their trouble. And they have experienced his deliverance. Others have awoken from their rebellion. And they have recognized then that they were in a prison of darkness and that that their own sin had made for them. And they too cried out to the Lord for deliverance. And they found that in redemption, that Jesus' blood can make the foulest clean. So there are the, the restless, those whose souls are restless, there must be something more, something missing. There's the re- rebellious who defy God. Do either of these match your testimony? Maybe the next one applies. Look with me, beginning in verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And be Cause of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. You know, the pilgrims have oftentimes taken a bad rap. They're being, they were accused of being self-righteous because of their very self-conscious efforts to live lives of purity. But there were few people who explored so deeply their hearts for signs of sin. And they would have willingly actually owned up to their folly, especially their falling their days before understanding the gospel. They certainly would have tested to the truth of these verses. Now, how many of us, we fine upstanding citizens, we shake our heads, we think back at the folly of our youth, we look back to, to maybe junior high or high school, 
college. I don't know, maybe last week. We wonder how did we even live to be 21, much less not end up in prison. We followed our natural inclinations, whatever seemed to be fun. That's what you do. And whatever somehow seemed to be the most idiotic thing to do also seemed to be the most fun. That's just the way we were. Verse 18 says that such fools loathe any kind of food. And no doubt many of us might look back and wish we had loathed some kinds of food, at least the massive quantities of of food that we ingested. But the kind of food that the psalmist has in mind probably pertains something more than than pizza and and buffalo wings. It is the food of God's word, what the psalmist would call God's law. And so in, in Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Or in Isaiah, come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And how many have scoffed at just doing that, of hearing God's word. Scoffed at hearing the gospel proclaimed, not because well, they had studied what the Bible had said, but just because they found their real delight in falling. And so they thought that to be religious, that's what they termed followers of Christ, is, well, that's the epitome of falling. And so they just went their foolish ways until they... Until they suffered affliction for their falling. Until they figuratively, or maybe even literally, they were at the gates of death and they called out to the Lord who healed them. Who opened their minds so that they could taste healing, delightful food of the gospel. Is that your testimony of God's deliverance? God delivered you from your foolish ways. Or God satisfied your restless soul. Or God redeemed you from the the prison of your sin. Or maybe it's this last group of people that best depict you. Those whose ambition got the best of them. Look at verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised a stormy wind who lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Maybe you were someone with great ambition. Ambition for, for wealth or, or fame or, or power. Ambition, ambition to make something of yourself. Someone who, who is important. Someone to be admired. 
and you succeeded. Or at least in what you intended to attain. You, you did business on that great waters of the business world. You, you ran the successful company. You reaped the financial rewards. You, maybe you won respect from those in your profession. You were given awards. But then once you, you reach the top, you discover that instead of, instead of fulfillment, you are surprised to experience despondency. And the pressures that come with staying on top of stormy waters. And it was then that you cried to the Lord. And he stilled your waters. Perhaps you, you mounted up to heaven only to go down into the depths. The successful business floundered. Bankruptcy loomed. Perhaps the fame maybe just simply faded away. And you found yourself kind of forgotten as competitors and new success stories took your place. Perhaps the very success you had corrupted you and you fell in disgrace. And it, it was then in the depths that your courage melted away and you cried to the Lord for deliverance. And he made a storm of your life be still and he, he brought you to your desired haven of salvation. And peace. And so we have the, the restless, we, we have the rebellious, we have the foolish, we have the ambitious. Do any of these types of persons best match you, your story? Well, whatever our story, we're all pilgrims. We're all making our way through life's journey to a destination. And, and maybe your story is not one of, being, of having been wayward at all. And you've never had to, to consciously experience the salvation of God's redemption. I mean, you're like the saints in Hebrews 11. Those who, who have always lived by faith, as, as far as you can remember. You have always understood that we are but strangers and exiles on the earth and that our homeland is a better country, it is a, a heavenly one. Well, whether that is your case... Or you are one who remembers a particular time of deliverance. But we all know that our journey continues to pass through storms. To include times of imprisonment. Maybe even from our own folly. That there will be times of, of hunger and a restlessness. But even so, we keep the faith. We cry out. To the Lord, who again and again delivers us. And indeed, the common mark of all these different groups of people in this psalm is this. They eventually come to their senses. And what do they do? They cry out to the Lord for deliverance. How sad to be in distress and have no one to cry out to. And so I would bid anyone who is yet to turn to God to consider these examples presented. Are you restless? Do you sense that there is more to life than you know, being a mere collection of, of molecules that someday will be disbanded? Have you awakened to the shallowness of trying to live life my way? 
Well, I invite you to cry out to the Lord. Discover the truth that St. Augustine wrote about centuries before, when he's looking back over his carefree life. And he wrote, our hearts are restless till we find rest in you. You can find that rest. Are you imprisoned? Do you feel the, the in, being, that you're imprisoned in some addictive sin? It, it could be alcohol. It, it could be just any failing. There's just a sin. You keep trying to get rid of it and, and you can't break it. And you know that you're failing to be the kind of person that you ought to be. I invite you to cry out to the Lord. To know the deliverance of the Lord from your sin. So that you're able to live a life with purpose to the glory of God. Or maybe you've come to your senses about your folly. You're like Roy Clark in his song, Yesterday. When I was young, you're looking back at your life. You now see the arrogance, the self-absorption of your life, and you're filled with grant. That's what happened to Mickey Mantle. That is the song he had sung at his funeral. And he called his friend, Bobby Richardson, who led him to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord in his final days to find forgiveness and redemption. Are you one who has realized your ambition and you have found that ambition wanting? It did not give you the satisfaction, the fulfillment that you you thought it would. Or or perhaps you're, you're working towards that ambition now. And you're finding the cost is greater than you anticipated. It's taking a toll upon you, upon your your family. Well, I invite you to cry out to the Lord. Let him take you to that haven of rest. And then to the redeemed. To you who can testify to the deliverance of the Lord, I invite you to do what this psalm exhorts us to do. Give thanks to the Lord. Really, who more than we? We who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb should give thanks for the steadfast love of the Lord. It is we who can attest to that love by which God gave His own Son to make atonement for our sins. We are the ones who should be proclaiming the redemption that has saved us and that continues to deliver us from our enemies and from our frailties and and from our ongoing falling. That's the reason we have come to worship today, isn't it? That we have been made the children of God and who can now join with his redeemed family to worship God in the name of the Lamb who has by his blood has redeemed us. Let the redemption consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let us give thanks for and proclaim his steadfast love that has brought us redemption. We do give you praise, our God. That all of us, sometime in our life, that we have cried out to you and you have heard us and you have delivered us from our sins, from our imprisonment, from our restlessness and rebellion, whatever it may be. Whoever we are, whatever our testimony may be, we give thanks. We give thanks for the steadfast love by which we have been redeemed. In Christ's name, amen.